There are weird days. There are wacky days. There are frenzied, frantic, hair-on-fire days. And then there's Wednesday, March 11th, 2020. You remember the day. By then, the coronavirus was already huge news. It had rattled markets, crippled cruise ships, and inundated hospitals in China, Italy, Iran. But here, our kids were still in school. We were still eating at restaurants, drinking at bars, and sweating at gyms. And no one worried too much about getting a hug, a handshake, or a haircut. That Wednesday changed everything. At 10 a.m., Dr. Anthony Fauci, not yet a household name, pulls no punches as he testifies in front of Congress. Okay, right. Uh, is, the, is the worst yet to come, Dr. Fauci? Yes, it is. Just after noon, the World Health Organization makes a startling declaration. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. An hour later, back in Cleveland, Mayor Frank Jackson confirms the bad news about two beloved events. We are working with the St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee to cancel this year's uh, parade. We're also working with the Cleveland International Film Festival to cancel uh, their event. As the afternoon progresses, the news snowballs. The Dow drops 1,500 points. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine says he's prohibiting fans from attending March Madness games. A Senate aide becomes the first case of COVID on Capitol Hill. And then things start getting really wild. At 9 p.m., the president addresses the nation. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. Eight minutes later, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson publish a post on Instagram. Also, since we have been on the air tonight, somebody who you will know by name, Academy Award-winning actor Tom Hanks and his wife, the actress Rita Wilson, have announced that they have both tested positive for coronavirus. Then, about 15 minutes after that, the NBA suspends its season. Tonight has been postponed. You are all safe. And take your time in leaving the arena tonight and do so in an orderly fashion. Thank you for coming. Something else happened that Wednesday. Something that didn't get much attention. Something you still might not know about. Until now. Welcome to Prescription for Hope. I'm John Campanelli. Today, the story of a beleaguered and overcrowded county jail and how quick action, teamwork, and compassion prevented a COVID catastrophe. First, before we go any further, we need to talk about inmates and medical care. Medical care in jail isn't like television privileges, recreation time, or candy from the jail commissary. For inmates, it's a right. Incarcerated individuals are the only group of people in America guaranteed medical care under the Constitution. And not just medical care, adequate medical care, according to an 8-1 decision by the Supreme Court in 1976. Plenty of folks may believe that people behind bars deserve nothing more than bread to eat, water to drink, and rocks to break. But in reality, poor treatment and lousy conditions create huge and costly problems for a jail or prison and the community. There's no better example than the Cuyahoga County Jail. In late 2018, after a widely publicized string of inmate deaths, the U.S. Marshals released a report about the facility. 
A blistering report tonight on Cuyahoga County's jail after U.S. Marshals reviewed conditions inside. Thanks for joining us. I'm Sarah Shuckman. And I'm Russ Mitchell. The jail got an overall grade of unsatisfactory, and the report revealed all sorts of procedural issues and inhumane conditions. The report also revealed 55 inmates had attempted suicide in the jail in just one year. The medical program, the marshal said, was inadequate. This might lead to something, just like the first domino. In the spring of 2019, the county announced that it was turning all medical care in the jail over to Metro Health, and this doctor was put in charge. Um, my name is Dr. Julia Bruner. I am a physician executive for Metro Health and the medical director for the jail. Throughout the second half of 2019, Dr. Bruner led a complete reimagination of medical care in the jail. She added more doctors and nurses. Her team began providing full health screenings to new inmates at intake, including a comprehensive mental health assessment. More addiction services were added, more monitoring for suicidality, more access to mental health services, primary care, and telehealth. Another important improvement Inmates health information was placed in expanded electronic health records. That allowed Dr. Bruner's team to not only track health data for individual inmates, but for the entire jail population. That lets the medical team track potential safety risks to everyone in the jail. Things like asthma, bronchitis, and emerging viruses. We've, uh, we've tried to look at the population in a different way. It really gave us a different lever for us to look at how we provide care and to ensure that, um, that we were tracking where the gaps were and we could find the gaps and figure out why they happened so, let's, so that it doesn't happen again. Aisha Parnell is the nurse manager at the jail in charge of more than 80 nurses. She's been working at the facility for five years, so she's seen the difference before and after Metro took over care. The difference is palpable. Um, camaraderie, teamwork, accountability, uh, respect on both sides from the correctional side of the house, um, the medical side of the house. There's more cohesiveness, willingness to work together, and an understanding that we're all here to take care of these patients and to help, to help them remain healthy and to leave here better than they came. So it's, it, it is palpable. By the end of last year, it was clear that the changes were working. A state inspection from late 2019 revealed what was called a stark turnaround at the jail. Greatly improved medical care, significantly healthier conditions, a safer environment. A year before, the jail failed to meet dozens of standards. This time, the jail's medical care met or exceeded every state standard. Smooth sailing from there, right? When did you first become aware of uh, the coronavirus? I came, became aware of it at the same time all of us did, so in the late December, early January timeframe. And when did you start thinking that it could potentially affect the jail and your job? Um, probably early February, late January, early February, when we started seeing the progression of the, of the virus uh, throughout the globe. Uh, and. Um, started to uh, consider what the options would be within a congregate living facility and within a jail and how we would manage a, an illness 
that could be transmitted amongst people very quickly. And what made you decide to act? Um, when we started to see the progression of the illnesses within the cruise ships within a variety of different areas across the globe in February, I started to become very concerned around how we would manage, how we would be able to isolate and care for people. I started thinking through that and recognizing that the number of people in the jail that we knew was overpopulated already um, was going to likely exponentially trigger mass infections within that facility if we didn't make a change in the number of people in the jail quickly. To Dr. Bruner, the county jail had the infection potential of a cruise ship. Only the jail was more cramped, less clean, without hand sanitizer, without windows or a promenade deck for fresh air. It was overcrowded, way too overcrowded, with people who are much more likely than the general public to have risk factors like asthma, diabetes, and other comorbidities. And the medical team, corrections officers, and other workers were boarding and disembarking every day, potentially bringing in or exiting with the coronavirus. Unless something happened, this cruise ship was headed toward an iceberg. Dr. Bruner reached out to the county's top judge. Um, my name is Brendan Sheehan. I am a judge here at Cuyahoga County Common Police Court. And uh, in January, I was elected the administrative and presiding judge of the court. I'll never forget the day. Um, Dr. Bruner uh, called me and said, hey, we'd like to come speak with you. Um, and I said, great, come on in. And I've never really met Dr. Bruner. She sat in this office where we're sitting here today and she said to me, uh, Judge, uh, if, it's not if, but when this coronavirus hits our city and our jail, we are gonna be crippled, that jail is gonna be crippled and we're not gonna be able to operate. And she scared me on that Tuesday and I said, Doctor, you have to come to our judges meeting on Wednesday, which we have monthly judges meetings. Yes, that Wednesday. And I need, we need to make sure our judges understand what's happening with this virus. How many inmates were in the county jail? Well, I could tell you exactly. March 11th, we had 1,978 inmates in our jail. The capacity of that jail should be approximately 1,600. So we were way over capacity in March. So at noon on that memorable Wednesday inside the Justice Center in downtown Cleveland, the county's common pleas court judges gathered for their monthly meeting. News of the St. Paddy's Day parade was out, so someone ordered corned beef sandwiches. While the county's 34 judges ate, Dr. Bruner spoke. She was very matter of fact. She didn't sugarcoat anything. This is what we have. This is what this virus will do. And this is how it could affect our jail based on our numbers. She goes, we need room in that jail. We need to be able to maneuver people into isolation. We have to be ready for it. And uh, she did a, she, she was great. Immediately, 34 judges got it. She was very persuasive. She was matter of fact. She explained the medicine. She explained how this is so contagious that all of our judges went into action. And that next day, 
We started mass plea hearings. Uh, and what does that mean? That means where we have prosecutors, defense lawyers, the judge, the victims, everyone in the same room, resolving cases. You know, it, we work Saturdays. We, we never had uh, plea days on Saturdays. We had Saturday hearings. We did Saturday arraignments. We, uh, it was a lot of communication and a lot of everyone working together. The way that the county in general uh, and Metro Health came together to uh, actively get in front of this in relation to the risk, I think it was phenomenal. I mean, to see, to see all the judges there, with everyone in the room, they all got on board and um, really saw the value of reducing the risk for this population because they knew reducing the risk for the people in the jail was also reducing the risk for the community as a whole. The judges had a request for Dr. Bruner. They wanted a list of the inmates who had the highest medical risk for exposure to COVID-19. Because of the improved electronic health tracking and records, Dr. Bruner was quickly able to generate a list. It had almost 400 names. So that was March 11th we started. By the week and a half, two weeks, we were down almost 1,000 inmates. And, and people say, well, gee, how did that happen? And, and if you think back at that time frame, everybody's job, I mean, judges weren't in trial, judges weren't having civil cases, weren't having criminal trials, weren't doing anything but focusing on the jail. And everybody worked together and said, hey, we've got to look at this jail and just reduce this population as best we can. And also understanding that we have an obligation to protect the community, we have a duty to protect the inmates, and we, we, we have to balance those issues. And we were, every judge didn't take it lightly, just we didn't open the jail doors and say, be out of there. We didn't do that. We did our legal analysis with everyone involved. While the judges, prosecutors, and defense lawyers worked long hours to resolve cases and lower the jail population, Dr. Bruner, the jail administrator, and their teams began planning for how they'd handle the coronavirus when it arrived. Doing tabletop simulations and what-if scenarios, they created a set of procedures and processes surrounding jail sanitation, masks, PPE use, testing, and of course, what to do with the inmates. The plan uses the extra space in the jail to divide and isolate the population into four groups. New arrivals to the jail, inmates potentially exposed to the coronavirus, inmates who test positive for COVID-19, and the general population. Testing is frequent, and no one can leave isolation without a negative test. If inmates test positive, they're moved into a single cell and isolated. There they are visited, yes, visited, by a nurse twice a day, by a provider once a day, and by a mental health provider every other day. On April 2nd, after more than three weeks of planning and preparing, Dr. Bruner and her team got the news they knew was coming. Cuyahoga County Jail dealing with infected inmates behind bars tonight. Today, the county announced six inmates tested positive for COVID-19. Two others from the same housing unit also suspected of having the virus. 
Judge Sheehan remembers what went through his mind. Telling me, Judge, we have our first coronavirus in the jail. And I, I was like stunned. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And what, then I, I, I took a step back and said, wait a minute, we're prepared for this. The preparation didn't keep COVID out of the jail, but it kept it contained. And it ensured that infected patients got quick and comprehensive care. The numbers speak for themselves. As of June 12, 2020, there were just two COVID-positive inmates in the jail. Zero were in exposure isolations, and only one inmate throughout the entire crisis has needed hospitalization. And he was back in the jail after just a few hours. No one has died. Other facilities have not been so fortunate. Eight of the nation's top 10 coronavirus hotspots have been in jails or prisons. At Elkton Federal Prison in Lisbon, Ohio, at least nine inmates have died of COVID-19. At Cook County Jail in Chicago, at least seven inmates, two corrections officers, and one deputy have died. Well, what differentiates us from Elkton, Cook County, all those prisons, is that, I, I, I don't want to point fingers, but we were prepared. We were organized. We jumped on it. We didn't just say, we're not worried about these folks. We, we jumped on it and made sure we were ahead of the curve. So where would the county jail be without the quick actions of Dr. Bruner, her medical staff, and the judges, prosecutors, sheriff, and jail team? She answered that question in late May with a slide presentation during a Zoom meeting in front of the county's Public Safety and Judicial Affairs Committee. This next graph shows you the projections of what COVID would have done in the same population cumulatively. So again, the green line is if there were 1,900 people in jail, and you would see that very quickly at a point in time, we would have had 90% of the population as being recognized as having COVID-19. So that would have been around 1,800 people. This is why we did what we did. There's a lot of heroes throughout this whole process, but in my mind, uh, she's one of the uh, one of the one of the biggest heroes because without her coming here, we could have been in a big disaster. The medical dispensary at the county jail is surprisingly ordinary. Aside from the corrections officers keeping everyone safe and a small cell that's used as a waiting room. This could be any health center. Exam rooms, a lab, dental chairs, x-ray machines, and lots of smiling nurses. For the moment, to prevent the spread of the coronavirus, virtually all care is delivered to inmates inside their cells, house calls. A few of the inmates who live on the same floor do come to the dispensary for care. Here's acute care nurse practitioner, Emmanuel Singleton. Everyone calls him Manny meeting with one of those patients. The hernia, how was how the hernia affecting you? Yeah. Okay, and you've never had a hernia repair. Do you know what a hernia is? Okay, so with, with your body, you have your, your stomach is here, and you have your intestines. Your intestines just, you know, you've seen those pictures with the intestines. Manny joined the medical team at the jail in 2019 after hearing about the facility's notorious problems on the local news. I had an interest in coming here because I was hearing about the things that were going on in the Cuyahoga County Jail that, and there was 
a lot of things that needed corrected, so I felt like I can come in and be um, part of the solution. I think the best part of the job is actually making a difference. I feel promoting wellness because I had I had never actually been in a position of providing primary care to a population who wasn't already seeking out primary care. So since they've been, since I've been here, a lot of the inmates, they, they're in, they have an interest in their health that they didn't have before. So a lot of them, they've had asthma for years, shortness of breath for years, but they just figured this is the way it was supposed to be. But then I put them on certain inhalers, they're breathing better. I see them again, they've been exercising and different things, and then they'll thank me for giving them an inhaler, and then they'll tell me, but I don't need it anymore because when I got the inhaler, I started exercising. Now I lost weight, my breathing is better. And it's like the certain satisfaction that I actually um, get from that. And then for a lot of those, it's unexpected because they expect the worst when they're in jail. And I think that's the most rewarding part. Dostoevsky once wrote that you could judge the degree of civilization in a society by entering its jails and prisons. Using that yardstick, how would Cuyahoga County have been judged two years ago? How would it be judged today? During our visit to the jail, the medical team never once called the people they care for inmates. They were patients. And never, not once, did anyone mention what any patient was in for. There was simply no discussion of any crimes, any charges, any allegations. Patients got treatment, not judgment. Here's Aisha again, a head of nursing at the jail. We are all one poor decision away from being where these patients are. Uh, some people, accidentally ended up in these circumstances and some people intentionally may have ended up in these circumstances but it's not our job to determine why they're here or what we all we can do is determine the care that we give because on the outside when you see them they're going to thank you for taking the time to listen and to care for them and providing them that one piece piece of information that helped them do better so i tell people all of the time these are people's parents siblings children and you have a parent, you have a child, you know, you have a sibling, and how would you want someone to treat them if they were in this situation? And then they understand. <laughs> Where would we be if, if you guys didn't do this? Well, I can tell you with 1,978 people in prison, and the way the cases were coming into this jail, um, we would be crippled. And there, I, I, I hate to even speculate. I, I could tell you, I would probably be forced to let people out of jail without, and just not having hearings and just releasing people. And we'd probably be on national news talking about how Cuyahoga County's jail is a wreck. But that's not what's going on. Now we're a national model of what's going on.
Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more episodes soon. In the meantime, keep wearing your mask, keep washing your hands, and keep sharing the kindness everyone needs. Prescription for Hope is a production of the Metro Health Communications team. Thanks to video storyteller Stephanie Jarvis for her audio help. Do yourself a favor and check out her video about medical care inside the jail. You can join Metro Health in its mission of service to our community with a donation to the Metro Health Foundation's COVID-19 fund. Find out more at metrohealth.org slash donate. Thanks so much. My name is Debbie Gordon. Um, I am an acute care nurse practitioner here, and it's the best job I've ever had. My name is Jade Sormikin. I am a registered nurse, charge nurse, patient care coordinator here at Cuyahoga County Corrections. We're not just doing what you would normally do on a day-to-day -day basis in a clinic or um, an ambulatory setting. We're doing that amongst so much more because of who we're serving, and we serve them with pride and quality. Hi, my name is Demetria Webb. I'm an LPN. The best part of my job is that I get to be an advocate for the inmates. Uh, Joseph Baskin, I'm a psychiatrist uh, in the jail. Uh, every once in a while we get somebody who rolls through here where our intervention makes a huge difference for their life. Uh, my name is Kayla Henderson. I'm an LPN at the Cuyahoga County Jail. The best part of my job is actually seeing the inmates feel like they are, they belong, like they matter. I don't want them to feel like, you know, um, they're being mistreated because they are in here. Um, so that's probably the best part.